Welcome to Free Advice. I'm your host, Zach Foster, and in this special episode of Seamside, I'm joined by a guest expert, and we answer your questions on quilting and the creative life. Just remember, just because it's free doesn't mean it's any good. You be the judge. Today, we're joined by my good friend, Heidi Parks. You've probably seen her in one of the 20 episodes of Soft Bulk that we recorded with Luke Haynes. Maybe you've done one of her popular quilt-alongs, like the vignettes pattern, or maybe you've taken her diary quilt class. If you're just now meeting Heidi, though, buckle up. You're in for a treat. I am sitting here with the one and only Heidi Parks on her living room floor. You've seen it a hundred times in YouTube, on Softbulk, all of that. Heidi, thanks so much for joining me today. Zach, thank you for coming here to Wisconsin. I know it was wonderful to lure you with the Wisconsin Museum of Quilts and Fiber Arts annual rummage. <laughs> okay, but we're not going to tell people too much about that because we don't want to blow up our spot. Yeah, yeah. Best kept yeah. secret. <laughs> so today we have four questions that people have submitted and are curious to know what we think about them. Our first question comes from Linda in Ontario. Let's have a listen. Hi, Zach. This is Linda, and I was wondering, how do you play? I find that I'm not able to take on small projects to try new skill or really just to find the usefulness in playing on small projects as opposed to always having a big project with a goal in mind. How do you find the usefulness in play, and can it be just okay that you did it for play and not for any other reason. Thanks so much. And Zach, thanks for doing all that you do. Have a great day. Linda, what a beautiful question. I'm going to just tell myself a little bit. Now, as I was reading through your questions, Linda's was one of the first ones I came across. And when someone asked me how I play, I said, that's going to be the first question. So thank you, Linda, for that. Oh, and when it's sealed with a kiss like that? Yes. Even better. How can you say no? So Heidi, what comes to your mind, first of all, when you think of play in the creative process? One of the top things that came to my mind with Linda's question was this idea that you need a small project to play and that the bigger, more serious project might inherently not be a place for play. And I would maybe push back against that idea a little bit, especially when I'm working on my diary quilts. I'm generally tracking a particular moment of time or looking at a particular memory or exploring a particular goal for the future. And I like to invite nuance and ambiguity into that. So whatever happens to subconsciously enter my mind or my sphere or whatever my body feels like doing physically, that shows up in the work a lot of the time and often leads to the thing that's maybe the most poignant or most insightful or most make you want to cry, all the feelings. But it it generally came from, eh, I was bored of doing this other part of the quilt, but I wanted to throw something in, or especially if I'm trying to deal with unique circumstances, there are a lot of occasions where I have to go to a meeting, either in person or on Zoom. And what can I have just to keep my hands busy while I'm in the meeting so I can be my best, most patient self in the meeting? Oh, you mean what I was doing while you were in that (laughs) Zoom meeting about an hour ago? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. So in order to bring out my best self, I just need something to be stitching on. 
And then that gets added to the quilt. And that, that to me is, is the top way that I play is that I invite that into the big project. And not just relegate them to the small projects. Yes. Although we love a small project. Like mm-hmm. right now at home, if you could see my design wall, it has five or six smaller quilts. The biggest one maybe being three by four feet, but most mm-hmm. of them being maybe a foot and a half by two. Yeah. And I can finish them in a day. Mm-hmm. I can try all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. If a mistake, like th- there was one where the batting got really bulky and yeah. folded in on itself. And I think if it were a big project, I'd feel differently about it. But that it was a small project made me wonder, oh, well, this was just, I don't want to say throwaway project, but mm-hmm. it's, this is just a small thing. I wonder if I can replicate that again. Yeah. Can I make that fold that happened unintentionally the first time happen intentionally the second time? And that gets to be a really interesting conversation with the material in my hands. And so how do I play? I'm thinking right now about a commission that Amanda Nadig and I are going to be working on soon where we have been entrusted with someone's lifetime collection of high-end silk neckties. Designer. Like nice. nice. And I'm like, only problem is I have no idea how to work with silk, like that kind of mm-hmm. silk, in a way that's really intentional. Mm-hmm. So I need to get to know silk neckties, right? I need to deconstruct a bunch. I need to sew with them to figure out what it is, what is my connection? Because I had some hesitation mm-hmm. taking on this project mm-hmm. because necktie quilts is a pretty established genre in my mind. Oh, true. Right? That necktie quilts. And this is no shade, but necktie quilts tend to be evidently made of neckties. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I realize, even as I'm saying this, that I am someone who loves to keep whole garments in their work. Mm-hmm. But there's something about neckties. I just want to disguise them. So I've been cutting them up and just I have this running mental checklist while I'm playing with this silk. What am I noticing? I'm noticing the flounciness of it, how it poofs up so nice around the stitches. I'm noticing the luster and the sheen. I'm noticing the coolness. When I touch a cotton quilt, oh yeah, it's kind of like a medium temperature. Wool would be a warmer, cotton would be medium. Silk is cool to the touch, which is so interesting. And there's even parts of the construction of the tie. The, a tie will almost always have a long unbroken thread that runs from tip to tip that you can salvage. And it's really wonderful mm-hmm. sewing thread. So all of this comes from play and getting to know material and the object that will eventually feed back into a larger project. But for now, I'm just having fun. And Mm -hmm. if it doesn't work out, I don't feel like I've wasted time Mm -hmm. because it's just getting to know the material. Oh, I love that idea of just getting acquainted, getting to know somebody. You know, I'm I'm thinking too about how neckties are made usually on the bias, right? Exactly. And then you got this stretchy quality that you can play with and makes me think of our friend Joe Cunningham and how he likes to play with stretchy. Another way you're reminding me with small quilts, I have been working on a series of six inch by six inch framed quilts since 2018. And it started out with me making one every single day in January 2018 for a gallery exhibition at VAR Gallery here in Milwaukee. And that has been a wonderful series. And I challenged myself on some of my limiting beliefs that I have about what a quilt can and can't do. So that was one of the first times I overlapped lines of quilting and just some other things like that. And I'll identify something I don't normally do. And then I can ask myself, what would happen if I broke that rule? 
And just double down. Yep. And being small, it is a safe space to do that. So safe. Mm -hmm. Linda, thank you for your question. I hope you find some room to play in your own creative practice real soon. Okay. Up next, we have a question from Carol in New York, who has a question about progress. Hi, Zach. It's Carol calling from New York. I often say that I don't really have specific goals for my work. I just want to feel like I'm making progress. But lately, I've been wondering what that really means. So my question is, is making progress important to you? And if so, how do you define and measure it? Thank you. Such a good question, Carol. Yes. Because as artists, we can so often get caught up in some idea that feels a lot like work, like <laughs> capitalist work. <laughs> and I want to unpack this a little bit with Heidi and see what mm -hmm. you think about this. Yeah, you know, it makes me want to dig in initially to what are some conventional ways of marking progress with a quilt. So I think of a, a large number of quilts in a year as potential progress or a particularly large quilt or maybe making quilts that get awards in one area or another or that get in a lot of exhibitions progress in quilting as using up something in your stash that you've gotten rid of something what are some other places where you where it's easy to start counting progress well i can tell you my partner's mamaw made a quilt for every one of her grandchildren when they graduated high school mm -hmm. so i know she was counting those quilts yeah mm -hmm. in other areas of my life when i think of progress it's just about crossing the finish line it's about getting the thing done so i can be done mm -hmm. with it but quilting feels intrinsically different. Not that I'm any less driven to get the thing done, but I feel like it's more like I'm being magnetized to the seeing the thing made and seeing the thing realized. And therefore I am interested in progress, not for the sake of progress itself, not for like completing a checklist, but for having had a hand in the magic of calling something into being. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. That sparks for me a big memory from my first year or two as a quilter. In 2013, you know I'm coming up on my 10-year quiltiversary. So back then, the top question that I kept asking myself every time I made a new quilt was, what does a quilt by Heidi Parks look like? And the biggest marker of progress for me was not how useful is it, what part of the art or quilt world does it go into, but has it moved the needle forward in me finding out who I am as a quilter? And that, to me, probably still resonates as one of the biggest measuring sticks. And then how fascinating it is when there's a moment of evolution. Because I remember vividly in 2015... I went to Seoul in South Korea and visited my friend Yongok Kim and I got introduced to Korean patchwork. And then around the end of that year, I had become friends with you and I was seeing more of the hand piecing that you were doing. And it was like this light bulb went off between the visible hand piecing in Korea and some of the visible hand piecing that you were doing that, wow, Every time I sit down at the sewing machine, my back hurts, I feel tired, my ears get bored of the sound of the sewing machine. And that huge eye-opening moment of, I actually like hand-piecing a quilt. And I think maybe 
even if I make less quilts in a year, I will be more satisfied, more happy if I'm hand piecing them instead of machine piecing them. Felt like a big amount of progress in answering that question, who am I as a quilter? Oh, that's tremendous. Mm. That's tremendous. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. intrinsic progress. Yeah. None of that is put on you by the outside world. This is mm -hmm. you and your investigation. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, similarly, I had a moment just this week, actually, where I've made one of these little playful pieces out of neckties I was just talking about. Mm -hmm. And because my palette was extremely limited, I'm still using like the eight neckties that I have from high school. So y'all just imagine <laughs> young Zachary in the late 90s and the kind of ties he was wearing to church. And I'm cutting into those. And the colors for this particular smaller quilt were just like really muddy. They're not colors I normally gravitate towards, but that wasn't really the point. I'm experimenting and exploring the material, right? And I get done with this piece, and it's about a foot by two feet. And in spite of the muddiness of the colors, there's still something really fascinating about it to me. And I literally took that quilt to bed with me. Oh. My partner's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I'm like, baby, don't worry. I just need to like, I just have to study it. I just have to like, I have to in interrogate it in a very gentle way until I can figure out what it is that's so compelling about this piece to me. Mm. And I feel like when I can put my finger on it, that could also be a marker of progress. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't figure it out that night, but <laughs> I'm getting closer. But that being cool yeah. is a really nice aspect of what does it mean to be wrapped up in a silk quilt. Mm -hmm. Summer comes to mind. That sounds like a beautiful place to be. Carol, thank you for that question. Up next, we have a question from Zoe, who's wondering about the balance of the creative process and social media. Hey, Zach and Heidi, this is Zoe from Eugene, Oregon. And both of you are on social media really active and present. And I wonder actually if there's parts of your creative process that benefit from not being shared, either on social media or with other artists. Is there like a time during your process that you want to keep things private or particular things you're working on? Basically, I'm asking you to tell me the things that you don't want to tell us. <laughs> That's it. Thanks. All right, Zoe, put us on the hot seat for a minute. Mm -hmm. I think that's a wonderful question because so much of social media is about curation mm -hmm. and choosing what we show and what we conceal. Mm -hmm. And without a doubt, it's a lot of show. Yes, it is. <laughs> which means it's also a lot of conceal. So how does Zoe's question first strike you? So one of the easiest things to answer that's not revealing too much that's private is in August, I have a new quilt pattern coming out that I've already filmed and that legally, contractually has to be a secret. So there become things like that where I'm forced to keep a secret and I find that really frustrating. It was so hard this February to be working really excitedly on a new idea that I was thrilled about and not be able to share it. So from that kind of gut reaction that I have where I'm so excited to share and not allowed, in the rest of my work, I feel very eager to share but I also, as I said before, do a lot of diary quilting and really personal subjects make their way into my quilts. And for me, it, it helps me find the right balance between personal and public for the quilt, which if I'm gonna be a professional quilter exhibiting things, I have to have the courage to put my quilt on the wall so that 
pulse check is, can I also share this image on social media? And it encourages me to use a lot of abstraction. So in a recent quilt that I'm thinking of that I made at the end of 2022, I used a lot of chairs to stand in as people and had many moments of secret code or including tally marks and I knew what I was counting up, but other people don't necessarily know that. And I find that that abstraction piques people's curiosity or it allows them to see their own life or their own interests in it. And that I didn't have to air all my dirty laundry about things that were happening in real time in the present moment in order to be able to make art about it that I could also share while I was making it. And I hear you on the real-timeness of projects. Mm -hmm. There's so much energy when it's yeah. in the moment that feels canned or a little bit stale afterwards. Like, you know, yes. Amanda and I just recently finished the Maestra quilt that mm -hmm. a lot of people listening will remember. And we couldn't share about that for weeks. Mm -hmm. And now everything's happened. The movie premiered and everything. And so now we're just retroactively telling the story. Yes. Which is cool. Mm -hmm. It's cool. It's not not cool, that's for sure. Right. But it doesn't feel the same as if we could share with you every step of the way. Well, that's like I was in on the secret of the Met Gala quilt. <laughs> I was part of a small lip-sealed NDA. <laughs> yeah. And it was very, very challenging to hold that in and then let and then be able to share it. Exactly. Exactly. I, I guess Zoe might. The first thought that comes to my mind, Zoe, to your question is kind of the same rules that apply to real life relationships and situations. And that when a project is really new and fresh for me, I'll tell my partner, hey, I'm not ready for critique. You can tell me everything you like about it. I will hear that gladly, but don't tell me what's not working because I'm not there yet. Right. Like mm -hmm. I need to get a project to about like a, I don't know, 80 percent mark where I feel that what I see on the wall is basically representative of the vibe I'm feeling. And when I can see that resonating back to me, then I have the security and the foundation to know that when someone comes to share an idea or a thought or a reaction about it, that we're basically talking about the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I think the same rules apply to social media and that I'm not going to share a project, even a progress shot, until I feel like I've been able to wrap my head mostly around it. Yeah. I feel like one of my personal gut check tools that I have is from reading Brene Brown's book, Daring Greatly. Near the end of that book, she talks about vulnerability and knowing when and how to share something. And if it's still really raw and unhealed, it's probably wisest to not share it publicly. And then when it's something you can look back on and that is healed, then you can share it from a place that's very helpful and healthy. I just recently did a creative bug conversation that was live and I shared a lot about my dad who passed away nearly five years ago and my grandma who has dementia and they're very heartfelt topics but they're also things that I've done a lot of work around so that I'm able to share about them and feel healed healed enough to share publicly beyond the abstraction that I was initially using. Which reminds me of a conversation that I had recently with quilter Julian Jamal Jones, mm -hmm. who uses a lot of abstraction in his work. He's using colors that stem from 
90s hip hop song lyrics from different rap songs and hip hop artists. And there are things or elements in his work that create these kind of inner circles. There are elements of abstraction that create these inner circles so that those who know mm-hmm. get that little warm fuzzy of like, I get it. Those who don't know don't need to know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a beautiful way that artists can play with how much themselves they want to show. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I really love that. Code. Code. Mm. Thank you, Zoe, for that question. Oh, is that hot in here? Is it just me a little bit? A little bit. That's a good one. (laughs) All right. Last question comes from Barbara, who has a question about how we can get younger folks more involved with quilting. Let's have a listen. Hi, my name is Barbara, and I'm in San Diego, and I'm involved with a textile museum here. And I'm just wondering if you have any ideas of how we can get more younger people involved in the museum, you know, the types of classes or projects we could do to get more involvement. I'd love to hear your thoughts and keep on going. You inspire me. Bye. Okay, Barbara, we do have some thoughts for you about getting younger folks plugged into quilting. My number one thought would be talk to Sarah Trail of Social Justice Sewing Academy. I talked to her on Seamside several episodes back. It's around episode nine, if you want to catch it. Sarah has put a lot of time and thought into what it means to bring new people into the quilting tent. And it starts with making sure they're comfortable, making sure they see other people like themselves in the same group doing similar things, making sure they have access to expensive equipment like sewing machines, making sure it feels relevant by allowing them to tell elements of their life story. Sarah has so many good ideas. So I am actually just going to Stop talking now and point you to Sarah. (laughs) So especially when you talked about little ones, I immediately thought of my nephew, Colin. He is six years old. And when he was about four, I bought him a copy of The Little Ghost Who Was a Quilt. Very sweet book. Very beautiful way to get into sewing and the idea of a quilt. And then I was able to say to him, hey, what if we made a quilt together? And he got to be involved for a relatively short amount of time, but I cut up a bunch of fabrics and then he and I spread those fabrics out on top of a piece of batting and we played. We played with Mario characters. We thought talked about the gooseberry net that Peter Rabbit gets caught in. And we just had a joyful time creating a composition with those fabrics. And then I put a layer of silk down on top and then I quilted that quilt up and it was in an exhibition in Seoul in South Korea. And then I put it into QuiltCon and then it became part of the Iowa Quilt Museum exhibition curated by Heather Kinian. And then it was at the Great Wisconsin Quilt Show in Madison. And that was the first time my nephew got to see the quilt on display. He saw me doing a hand yoga demonstration with the microphone and 60 people all moving their hands exactly the way Auntie Heidi was telling them to move their hands. And then we got to buzz past some of my other quilts over to my area where I had my exhibition. And he was so proud seeing that quilt on display. When I asked him about it later, he said his favorite part of the whole day was getting to see the quilt. He helped make that quilt it continues to have a really vibrant life. It's right now at a solo show of mine in a museum at the Woodson Museum 
in Wausau, Wisconsin, and he's going to go and see the quilt on display there later this summer and allowing kids to be a part of it rather than having to make the whole quilt start to finish for me, at least in my life, has been a very powerful way of engaging him. He might not go on to be a professional quilter the way that Andy Heidi is, but it's giving him a real appreciation and joy around quilting. I saw him this past weekend and we made a sketch for our next quilt that we wanna make. And from his own mind, he, wa he wants to make a net themed quilt. I'm sure inspired by the gooseberry net that we used the first time round. But that type of inclusion, I think, is really exciting. And that's something that I see our friend Amanda Nadig doing with her son really frequently and using bits of his drawings or including him in the sewing. Letting them cut holes out of mm -hmm. the fabric. And then she's like, well, I guess I'll just have to work around those. Oh, I love that part so of her many, work. Yeah, so like many fun ideas. Letting them do just one small little part. Mm -hmm. But then when you display or use or enjoy the quilt, commenting about their important role that they played in it, I find to be super special. I think I want to get your nephew on Crazy Quilt. Sounds like a pretty good brainstormer. Oh, he's an excellent brainstormer. We should 100% crazy quilt with Colin. Oh, <laughs> your mouth to God's ears. Let's make that happen. Mm -hmm. I'll just share one practical tidbit, Barbara, that came to me from another Barbara, which helped me immensely this summer when I was working with elementary school age kids. And that was pre-thread about three times as many needles as you think you're going to need. It will save you light years in the moment. And I was so <laughs> glad I listened to the other Barbara tell mm. me that. So take it for what it's worth. And with that, folks, I think that's the end of free advice. Remember, just because it's free doesn't mean it's good. You have to think about it for <laughs> yourself, but we're happy to offer it all the same. Heidi, any parting words? Oh, thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed having you here on the floor in my living room. And it's a great kickoff to our week together in Wisconsin. I'm hoping we might rope Heidi back into doing this another time. We'll find out. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Now, if there's somebody you'd like to recommend to be a guest on this show, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me directly at zach at zachfoster.com. Just remember Zach is spelled Z-A-K. And why? I don't know. You have to ask my mama. I look forward to hearing from you. Until next time, take care, sew something good, and I hope to see you around the nook.